My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 41 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, featuring my conversation with death coach and founder of Entheo Wheel, Dream Mullick. And what had really stripped me and cracked me completely open was the back-to-back deaths of my father and my husband. And, and the way that death had, had become an incredible teacher for me in the way that it can when, when we get stripped, which I think is also something that psychedelics sometimes can offer us. I say he died so that I could learn to fully live. What it is to walk with the fullness of life. You know, the, the, the beauty in death, the grief in death, the joy, and how precious everything is. And, and that's, I think that's where we really, that's the place that we met, you and I, at that intersection, at that moment in my life where I was really deep in that unpacking of that experience. There is no life without death. There is no joy without grief. Everything is interwoven. When we drop into the reality that this could be, like this could be our last conversation, yours and mine. And when you live from that place, when you move from that place, it changes everything. You know, there's a reason, like there's a reason why the Tibetans began practicing for death from birth because it teaches us how to live. You know, and that's, I think psychedelics can open that, that doorway. Um, they certainly did for me. I really encourage people to create the space to feel, to create that spaciousness, to slow down enough, to create a safe space within themselves, to really root down, like to root down and to know that they are grounded, that they are held, that they are anchored to the earth, and then create that internal space to feel. Many, many, many of us in that question between meeting the urgency that we feel around what is collectively happening and a desire to be of service and a desire to fully show up and then to find that stillness and to actually move from that place of stillness and allow that to inform what we create. When Enthea Wheel came, like I just, it was like a huge vision. And my mind just likes to create big, you know, and that's one of my edges. One of my edges is to actually slow down and create from a space that is generative and create from a space that I can actually fully manifest in a good way. When I'm coming from a place of love, when I'm coming from a place of service, like I can't fuck it up. It's only when we learn to cultivate a relationship with death and make peace with the fact that one day our lives will come to pass that we can lean in and live life more fully and more wholeheartedly. Dream Mullick is a death coach, which, as she explains, is not quite the same thing as a death doula that works with people at the end of life. But rather, she leads people through what she calls the ceremony of living and dying, guiding people through the portal of death into rebirth, so that you can make peace with death as a catalyst for living more fully in your life right now. 
And part of the work she does is also exploring the intersection between psychedelics and death, which is also a topic that I really appreciate since, as we discuss, plant medicines really show us how to make peace with the true nature of reality, which is fundamentally impermanent and always changing. And we both share a very deep love for the Shambhala teachings and the way of the Bodhisattva that is so deeply ingrained into the foundation of everything that I teach. So a big part of this conversation explores the intersection between psychedelics, death and grief with the wisdom teachings of Eastern philosophy. And exploring this intersection is a topic that is so near and dear to my heart. And just in case you haven't tuned into it yet, I released an entire solo episode about bowing at the altar of impermanence all the way back at episode number four, if you feel like checking that out. And so Dream is an incredible woman. She's a dear sister and I just adore her. As I share in this episode, we initially met at Burning Man a few years ago, and I had one of the most hilarious experiences of my life together with Dream out on the playa that will forever be etched into my memory as one of my most favorite Burning Man moments. And at that Burning Man, the more I got to know Dream and what she was going through, and we were sort of having this parallel process of processing some pretty deep levels of grief in our lives in very different ways. And the more I heard her story, the more I respected and admired her. And so Dream was actually born in India to an East Indian dad and a Jewish American mom. And she's just full of so much wisdom. And I just knew this was going to be such a powerful conversation. So this episode is framed more like a conversation and a little less as an interview. It's almost as if Dream and I are just catching up over the phone and you're listening into a real-time conversation that I'm having with a sister who's also on the medicine path. And so the core thread of this conversation is essentially exploring paradox, the paradox of what it means to be human and how at the core of it, we are energy in motion that brings with it the utter bittersweetness of what it means to be alive, you know, living and loving and also watching what we love eventually come to pass and holding space for so much joy and inspiration and creativity and also grief and pain and suffering and learning how to hold our center through it all. So the joy and beauty that is fundamentally inherent in grief is a central theme here. And we also talk about creativity and what it takes to anchor big visions, especially on this path, and the necessity of actually slowing down and being still and just creating space to listen and opening that channel to receive guidance that comes from a different place so that we can create from that place, which is honestly so much easier said than done. And it's a delicate balance, especially when we're also on this path of really creating in a big way that does actually require a tremendous amount of dedication and focus and effort. But what I've learned time and time again is that self-care and slowing down to tune in is absolutely foundational to creating on a really big level. 
And so we talk about being able to really tune into that place so we don't force things, but rather allow things to unfold in right timing and move at that speed of trust and create from that very aligned and centered place. And aligning with our center really does require dropping into that stillness that lives within each of us. And in this conversation, we talk quite a bit about cultivating a deeper connection to this earth. And I share some of my experience of what it's been like for me to make this transition from the big island of Hawaii to Austin, you know, from off grid to more city oriented living. Although I'll still always have a base in Hawaii, but it's just been such a huge adjustment Adjustment, and it's required more intentional focus to maintain that sort of embodied connection to the earth here. But I am finding my new rhythm with it all, but it, it's, it's really just provided me with this deeper sense of awareness of how it requires more intentional focus and practice. And so we talk quite a bit about this towards the second half of the conversation and Dream leads us through just a one minute mindfulness practice where we connect to our root, our root into the earth. So when we hopped on the call together, Dream wanted to share something with me before we started that she had just read before our call. So I decided to just leave our entire conversation in because the whole thing honestly was just so good. There was so much depth of wisdom shared in this episode, and it's definitely one of my favorite conversations so far. Dream is also stewarding and anchoring a really significant project called Entheo Wheel, and she shares about it towards the end of the conversation. And I'm honestly just so fucking proud of Dream. She is just such an incredible powerhouse. And as many of you know, you know, holding a significant vision for something we want to create in our lives is one thing, and transmuting that vision into reality is another thing entirely. And she's really stepping out and leading in this space. And I also asked her what she's been learning along the way, where she's meeting her growth edge and how anchoring this vision is shaping her into the woman that she's becoming. And everything she shares about this and the evolution of her path was just so inspiring and so insightful. So the first Entheo Wheel event that was in collaboration with Esalen was incredible. It was so amazing. And now Dream is launching a five-part live stream salon series that's called Exploring the Ceremony and Modern Science of Psilocybin. And that begins January 16th, 2022. And I am so honored to be speaking at this online event alongside some of my favorite people in the psychedelic space, including Paul Stamets, East Forest, Grandmother Jyoti, who I just adore, Rosalind Watts, who is doing such incredible work in the space and who I would love to get on this podcast at some point in season two. So if you choose to join us in January for this five-part live series, you'll also receive immediate access to an exclusive video library of recordings that has over 10 hours of content that was filmed at Esalen for the first Entheo Wheel event. So all of that content will be included in this five-part series as well. You'll get access to all of that. And that content is really focused on preparation, the ceremony itself, and then integration 
as well. And that content includes lectures from very prominent people in the space, including Dr. Jim Fadiman, Dr. Robin Carhart Harris, Melina Snow, Justin Beretta, amongst many others. I'm going to include a link to the trailer in the show notes, and I highly recommend checking out this video. It's so beautifully done. And if you're listening to this and you are or you know someone who's a part of the BIPOC community, there are visionary scholarships available for this event. And I'll include a link to that application in the show notes as well. And in the show notes, you'll also find links to Dream's website if you feel inspired to work with her directly or attend one of her online death meditations, which I highly, highly recommend. And for this episode, instead of leaving you with a song, Dream suggested we leave this episode off with this beautiful and short Dharma teaching channeled by the one and only Alan Watts and put together by Beretta and Superposition. And you can find a link to listen to that again on Spotify if you so choose. And if you've been enjoying this show, I would so appreciate it if you could take a moment and leave me a review on iTunes. And as per usual, in the show notes, you'll also find links to my free playlists for psychedelic journeys and beyond, as well as my free eight-day microdosing course if you are feeling called to start an intentional microdosing practice. All right, without any further ado, all right, that is all from me for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. It means so much to me. Without any further ado, here is my powerful conversation with death coach Dream Mullick. Okay, great. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, love. It's so nice to see your face. Hi, love. So nice to see you too. Before we start, can I share like a, a morning inspiration with you? Because I just read this Mary Oliver poem that I was just like, yes. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. <clears throat> and the whales are migrating here right now. And so earlier this week, I saw a full pod. And so sometimes I just like to open up my books and see what wants to be read. Mm. And this one this morning was hump. It was humpbacks. Mm. There is, there is all around us this country of original fire. You know what I mean. The sky, after all, stops at nothing. So something has to be holding our bodies in its rich and timeless stables, or else, or else we would fly away. Off Stellawagon, off the Cape, the humpbacks rise, carrying their tonnage of barnacles and joy. They leap through the water. They nuzzle back under it like children at play. They sing, too, and not for any reason you can't imagine. Three of them rise to the surface near the bow of the boat, then dive deeply, their huge scarred flukes tipped to the air. We wait not knowing just where it will happen. And suddenly, suddenly they smash to the surface. Someone begins shouting for joy and you realize, you realize it's yourself as they surge upward and you see for the first time how, how huge they are as they breach and dive and breach again through the shining blue flowers of the split water. And you see them, 
you see them for some unbelievable part of a moment against the sky, like nothing you've ever imagined. Like the myth of the fifth morning galloping out of darkness, pouring heavenward and spinning. Then they crash back under those black silks and we fall back together into that wet fire. You know what I mean. I know a captain. I know a captain who has seen them playing with seaweed, swimming through the green islands, tossing the slippery branches into the air. I know a whale. I know a whale that will come to the boat whenever she can and nudge it gently along the bow with her long flipper. I know several lives worth living. Listen, whatever it is you try to do with your life, nothing, nothing will ever dazzle you like the dreams of your body. It's spirit longing to fly while the dead weight bones toss their dark mane and hurry back into the fields of glittering fire where everything, even the great whale, throbs with song. I fucking love that so much. Like, listen, whatever it is you try to do with your life, Nothing will ever dazzle you like the dreams of your body. It's spirit longing to fly while the dead weight bones toss their dark mane and hurry back into the fields of glittering fire. Uh, I mean, come on. Is I that know. psychedelic? I don't know what it is. You know? like <laughs> Oh, my God. I also just love you, Dream. I love you so much. And... I admire you and respect you. And also just that you wanted to open with that because when we were pinging each other on WhatsApp like 15 minutes ago and I was like, okay, I'm going to go into a meditation. You go into a meditation. We'll meet here. And then I actually, I sat for a second and then I was like, I really just want to dance. And I put on this song that has been, I've been listening to and just channeling that feeling of like, have fun. Let's go into this and just have fun for the joy of it. And out of this seriousness of like, oh, I really want it to be this like impactful conversation and bringing that like levity of joy into my body. And that's what I was going to open with, with you was let's just shake and have fun and bring that, that really that frequency of inspiration into the body. And I think there's so much sort of seriousness around the work that we do and contribute contributing to the psychedelic space. And I feel like what the plants are teaching us is how to laugh and how to laugh in ironic amusement at like the absurdity of everything that we're facing right now on the planet. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, that just really speaks to yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I went into singing. I, I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to do a city. I was like, so, I mean, I went into chanting and singing. I was like, I want to move my my energy. Yeah, um, I love I, that. I think I think play, play, mm. laughter. I mean, if even in the face of of terror, like if if we can be fully present and not to like drop out of of the reality of some of the extremes that we're in because they're real. But like, how can we be fully embodied and present? And I don't think that, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this. I don't think spirit created us to like be weighty and heavy. And um, that's a doorway that we have to go to, to get to this next like remembering Hmm. of the gift of everything, right? Like, Hmm. and that's part of what trauma does. You know, it's like we go through the, the shame and the weight of that. And then we 
like come into the gift of the fullness of everything because there's just no way there's no way we were created to be like heavy pain bodies mm-hmm. which is kind of where i was thinking i wanted to start this conversation with you was just by sharing how we first met and just how some of my best memories at burning man you know you're really right up at the top with one of like the most hilarious moments of laughter in my entire life. And that's just the beauty of events like that and gatherings like that and working with medicines in all sorts of different settings and how, you know, we were just, we found ourselves in this hilarious moment where your jacket was caught in the bike and it turned into this like hilarious, just real like guttural laughter at just like how funny life can be. And during Burning Man, you also shared with me just a lot of profound wisdom around, you know, I was I was actually processing a lot of grief at that Burning Man, letting go of our land in Hawaii. And you had opened up and shared quite a lot about the grief that you had been processing in relation to a lot of events that had unfolded in your life. And so it's funny that we find ourselves at the beginning of this conversation where we're really holding that juxtaposition of being alive and laughing and being able to sing and dance in joy and also really hold space for the processing and healing of trauma and grief. And I mean, maybe that's just a good place for us to start to share some of your story of what you've been through in the past that has allowed you to be where you're at now. Mm. Yeah, I love that memory. I love that memory so much. I can go right back into it and I can see it was like more than my jacket. It was like my cloak. (laughs) This was like this sacred, this was this like sacred, and I still have it. I, I mean, this is a sacred like garb that I had that was like, I felt like was protecting me from everything that needed protecting from, which is nothing, but you know, and I refused to like, let it get torn off in the bike. And I was, I was like standing there stuck completely. And I could, I mean, I could have peed my pants. Like really, it was like that both funny and ironic and you didn't leave which was also really beautiful. Like you stayed, you know, and you were, we, we didn't know what to do, but you stayed. And I really, um, I just want to honor that and appreciate that in this moment. Um, because that's, that was a gift. And wow, let's see, that's a big question, Laura, you know, we can go lots, there's lots of different doorways to open with, uh, just this lifetime of experiences around, um, lots of early childhood traumas. And, but I think that what I was sharing with you at Burning Man and what had really stripped me and cracked me completely open was the back-to-back deaths of my father and my husband. And, um, and the way that death had, had become an incredible teacher for me, the way that death had become an incredible teacher for me in the way that it can when when we get stripped, which I think is also something that psychedelics sometimes can offer us. But I was, gosh, let's see, that was what, three or four years ago, I think, that the Burning Man, it was maybe three years ago. So I was about five, five years into a journey of, I would say, waking up to life when my husband died suddenly of an accidental pharmaceutical overdose. But my story goes like much further back in in my life and in many lifetimes with my experiences with death. But I would say that that was like that particular kind of back to back, my dad dying 
and then a year later, my husband dying, cracked me open in, in a completely different way to what was important in life. You know, and I got this just really fast experience of everything that mattered and everything that didn't matter. And what didn't matter just started to fall completely away. And I walked for a year in this field of of love, but also between the worlds, like not super grounded and embodied, but just in this place of knowing what was important, watching the grass grow, being so, so present, and also being completely stripped and opening up to like all the experiences that I hadn't felt in my life, all that I had pushed down to like busy myself, go to business school, do all the things that I thought I could do to kind of hold life together when you've had a lot of lived experiences. And that all fell away and I got, I say he died so that I could learn to fully live. And that's been my journey and that's kind of the process that I was in when I was at Burning Man with you was really um, cracking and peeling back some of those deeper layers of understanding Hmm. what it is to walk with the fullness of life. Hmm. You know, the, the, the beauty in death, the grief in death, the joy, and how precious everything is. And, and that's, I think that's where we really, that's the place that we met, you and I, at that intersection, at that moment in my life where I was really deep in that unpacking of that experience. Mm, right. And it just so speaks to the way that grieving and actually bowing at the altar of death so fully that I, I really feel like that's such an invitation that psychedelics and plant medicines give us is to really face that. And it's actually incredibly painful to fully bow and acknowledge at the altar of our own death, at the death of the loved ones in our lives. And yet it's so fueling towards living fully there's so much beauty in that grief and in that bowing and acknowledging. And it's really just this complete juxtaposition of the pain and the bittersweetness of what it means to be alive. Well, that's it. Exactly. I mean, that's it. Exactly. There is no, there is no, there is no life without death. There is no joy without grief. Everything is interwoven, you know, and the story that we've bought into in this culture that they're actually separate and that we, we gravitate only towards the, the desire body of happiness. And, and, you know, that, that's just a story. Mm. When, when we drop into the reality that this could be like, this could be our last conversation, yours and mine. And when you live from that place, when you move from that place, it changes everything. Mm. You know, there's a reason, like there's a reason why the Tibetans began practicing for death from birth because it teaches us how to live, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and that's, I think psychedelics can open that, that doorway. Um, they certainly did for me. Mm. I'm kind of curious to ask yeah. you about this like experience. I mean, I was also grieving so much just the transition from owning this beautiful retreat center in Hawaii that I actually felt like my identity was so wrapped up in 
and really shedding that skin and shedding that identity and having this experience of sort of going into the suffering and the grief of it. And then after being there for some months and, you know, it was kind of like a dark night of the soul over the period of some years and, you know, that feeling and that recognition of, okay, there's a place to continue to be present for it and sort of kick that wheel of suffering. And then having that acknowledgement at a certain point of like, oh, actually, I don't need to fully go into that right now. Speaking to this place of how to know when to continue to hold space for the full experience of grief and how to know when to say, okay, I've grieved. I'm going to allow that mm. to be and not actually continue to sort of fuel it with the mental storyline of loss, for example, and just say, I yeah. think I'm complete on that in this moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful inquiry because I've actually gone quite deep into that, you know, the because the death of my husband started to become an identity. You know, so then I was like, I was the, this, that would be my storyline. That would be, I would kind of lead with that. You know, that became like, um, because I was so in that experience. And what, what I've come to, I love, I love this idea of titration, which I think, you know, is this a somat more of a somatic term, but it's, I think it applies to everything in life that we, right now are being, you know, we're experiencing so much collective noise, right? There's so much coming at us in all different ways. And how do we be with the fullness of experiences without being debilitated? And that's this idea of allowing in, like fully allowing in what we can actually process and being with that experience and then growing from that kind of capacity. Like I, I had a year to grieve when my husband died. I took a year. I traveled around the world. I held ceremonies. Like I, 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 I had, I had no practice like that in my past. None whatsoever. I had no training. I had no tools to be with death. I had, you know, nothing. And when my dad died, I called it like death 101 because it actually brought death into our household, like into the conversation, into the dinner table. And we started talking about things like whether we wanted to be embalmed or, you know, these different things that just you never would have had conversations about. But I had no training. And then when he died, it, I was just channeling. It was like channeling. And I had permission for the first time to openly grieve. And I was grieving for everything. I was grieving for the collective planet. I was grieving for the loss of every, every being that I, you know, had felt my entire life and not grieved for, not just his. And then what it really came to was like metamorphosis and transformation that I experienced actually through an iboga journey. And from that, I started to mourn the death of the dreams, the future projections, like all that, the ideas, but they weren't, weren't really tangible, like, because nothing had died. Mm. Nothing had actually died. I had more communication. I had a deeper connection with the divine, with spirit, with my husband's soul than I had ever had. We didn't have the drama that we had in the, this lifetime. And it was just so... I think that in terms of when we come to how much we can hold, what we can grieve, how deep we go into the story, you know, there's an invitation on one hand to feel everything. And then on another hand, it's to be with what we can actually process so that we can stay embodied, not check out and be with the joy of life 
Mm-hmm. At the same time as we're holding the grief. And it's, there, there's, there's no, neither want to be diminished because they both coexist. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we didn't love it so much, we wouldn't be grieving. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and in my experience of working in ceremonies where like, I felt like I was drowning in grief and drowning in this feeling of just like the depths of suffering from grieving loss. And then having this realization that also a lot of the narratives and the stories in my mind and the thoughts were actually fueling the grief. And when I started recognizing places to shift the narrative, that it's actually not loss, that it's transmutation, that there is, it's this evolution of change. It actually allowed me to sort of stop drowning in the grief and just hold space for it to then transform into something else. And that was really helpful in sort of completing some of those cycles of grief. And really it came down to how I was relating to it in the story that I was telling myself about quote unquote loss and that it actually really wasn't loss. You know, as I'm coming out of a 10 year long marriage with Noah, it's like, I haven't lost Noah. He's still in my life. Our relationship has changed. It's transformed. But the way that we sort of talk about loss, I think is, is a really big part of this conversation around grief. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Because there's nothing lost. I mean, if you look at the natural world, everything is in constant transmutation. Everything is in constant transformation. The, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't mourn like when we have a big fire. You know, I, I live in Big Sur and we had a big fire it started across um, the street from me, actually. And I watched it burn down the hill and um, watching the redwoods burn like my heart, my heart was hurting. Mm-hmm. My heart was hurting, even knowing that they will, you know, many of them need fire to regenerate. And there is there is transmutation and there is serotony. There's these like little bits like bursting from out from, you know, the ash, all these new sprouts that are coming. And yet, um, and yet there still is a loss. There is a loss of that tree, but there is not a loss because it hasn't gone anywhere. And all of the experiences, all of the stories that are contained in that tree are now in the ash and back in the soil and in everything, you know? And so I think that there is a, there's a collective story that has been told around what is loss, what is death, and and the role that that plays in the way that we move through life that, is, that isn't true. Mm. And I think psychedelics, you know, can reveal that. They can open up. That's, you know, I mean, death did that for me, but so did the plants. And so did, you know, psychoactive plants and psychedelics that are not, you know, so I think, I think that's, that's, that's spot on. Right. Yeah. And I think for people listening, and I'd be curious to ask you, Dream, you know, any advice for people who are moving through, I mean, I feel like we've been collectively moving through this time of grief, as many of us are shedding identities from pre-pandemic times, like the world around us is fundamentally different. It's changed. We've had to let go of old ways of being, which actually is a portal of transmutation and grief and letting go. And 
I know you're doing death doula work now, and you've been doing these incredible meditations of dying into the now. I love that framework. And I think a lot of people are really interested in actually exploring the intersection between psychedelics and death and psychedelics and grief. And just anything that you can share about what you've learned along the way or practices that maybe could be helpful for people who are listening to this, who are like, okay, I'm opening to the processing of grief in a healthy way. Mm. Yeah, give me a minute here, Laura. So we might we might end up pausing for a minute, but I'm just going to drop in for a minute and really digest that question. I'd say that fundamentally, you know, one of the great challenges with this time that we're in is that there 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 aren't the containers to even process some of these experiences. You know, when um, when I first got like the grief, like the invitation to be with grief, like to be with everything that was happening, to feel everything, I started to facilitate um, circles called, you know, in the way of counsel, like grief counsels. And I was really wanting to everybody to be with the collective grief, you know. And, and what I found was that a lot of people were coming in just, with their individual experiences, right? Like their divorces or their their losses in their lives. Because before we can process for the collective, we need to process for ourselves, you know? And there's, I think, a, a miss, like, there's a misunderstanding of self-care, like at the depth level of what it is to actually tend to oneself, to to tend to our own nervous system so that we can re-regulate with the collective nervous system. And so I, what I feel is like that there's a really important balance. You know, what you brought up is like, how do we, how do we feel pain and, and even reframe pain? Like the pain body, like I've been working with a lot of pain as I got quieter, as I've and more still during this pandemic time, I started to feel a lot more of what is in my system, which is pain. And I started to recognize that I get to reframe my relationship with pain. Like pain is my emergency systems like saying, hey, something's out of balance here. Something's out of regulation. I'm not trying to resist that pain. I'm trying to understand what's out of balance and re restore that balance. And so I think the same holds with the, the grief, the contraction, like in our culture, we have been contracting from the contraction. We're in this birthing process and in birth, there is expansion and it's vast. And then there's contraction. And if we don't have both, we don't birth the baby. We have a cesarean, right? Which is not necessarily what's going to serve us. And so I, I really encourage people to create the space to feel, to create that spaciousness, to slow down enough, to create a safe space within themselves, to really root down, like to root down and to know that they are grounded, that they are held, that they are anchored to the earth, and then create that internal space to feel some of what they're experiencing and to know that that capacity to feel is so directly connected to their love, like their heart, like that heart that breaks open, you know, as 
uh, as the um, some of our teachers, you know, in the Buddhist traditions will share that heart that breaks open is the heart that can hold everything. You know, and there's no there's no fear in in cracking open, you know, but allowing oneself to let in what they can hold, you know, and even simple practices like here gone, you know, one of my um, one of my uh, teachers um, in the death meditation practice was just like simple practices like here gone, just recognizing like this moment ever changing like we could no we, we could no longer change this moment from you know any other moment it is just in constant flux and so why would we want to hold on to that i love those simple practices and um one of the practices that i i actually bring up a lot in the programs that i do and the work that i do with people is similar to here gone but it's just drop the storyline, connect with the underlying energy. This is like, it's like a two sentence instruction <laughs> around something that's actually incredibly profound. Like drop the storyline, just that's notice right. the storyline, connect with the underlying energy. And that's why there's such a beautiful convergence between Buddhism, these different lineages of Eastern philosophy, I feel like converge and overlap so perfectly with the psychedelic experience. Because when you look at, you know, the three marks of existence, one of them is that everything is impermanent. Everything is always changing. And I think when we learn that everything is energy, always in motion, we stop fearing it so much. And instead we come full circle to what we open with and we learn how to dance with this energy of life and how we move in conjunction with it. We can channel it. We shape it. We can actually mold it into a work of art that really becomes our life. And so it's this way that we can hold both ends of the spectrum of joy and pain. And for people who listen to this podcast regularly, they know that I like to think in Venn diagrams. And so we're overlapping this circle of of Buddhist philosophy with psychedelics. And I think psychedelics really help to facilitate the capacity to hold space for what we feel. And so to put another sort of circle in this overlapping Venn diagram would be somatic awareness. And you use these words around, you know, contracting. And I think there's also this other really key piece is that I think we're so conditioned to move away from pain, to shut down and contract and pull away from feeling difficult emotions, which there is a huge body of wisdom teachings in Eastern philosophy that really fully just point to that, like broken down instruction on how to hold space, stay open and not contract open heart, open mind, like full open channel and being able to really meet the difficulty of the present moment with an open sense of equanimity, of non-judgment, of calm nervous system. It's incredibly hard to do actually, because there's, when we feel that pain of the grief and the suffering, it's like this place of like, no, I don't want to feel it. And learning actually how to somatically just open in the middle of it without completely losing our center and completely losing our shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I, I think I want to acknowledge a couple of different things. I want to acknowledge that, um, you know, being, 
being disembodied or disconnected or disassociated is a is a defense mechanism that serves us in certain situations and has served us to survive you know and so acknowledging that that is real while at the same time saying hey that which has helped us to survive may be inhibiting us from actually thriving right that which is actually what that what our what our body system what our nervous system either believes or in truth has helped our ancestors to survive has helped us individually in our lives to survive is is also what may be mm, killing us right that may be that that exact pattern and so to work through that to create that foundation of safety to be able to feel from mm. you know and that's internal that's internal we don't necessarily always all have the external circumstances but we can create that place inside of us because we are that that is our birthright that embodiment is our birthright that place of knowing that we have that much capacity that we are that held exists within us mm. you know and so i just want to encourage you know i mean that's i think part of what psychedelics can show us right they open up that doorway and then we get to integrate all that beautiful work into our lives mm. into the daily mm. into restoring that memory of who we already are right right if i was going through another major grief portal i would actually really want to be held by you dream because i know the depth of your understanding of grief and the depth of your capacity to hold space for your own grief. And I think it's also helpful that we do this healing in relation, you know, and that actually this nervous system co-regulation happens for healing where I can feel safe to let go and unravel and fall apart and have someone else hold that knowing that it's okay. It's okay. Just stay present hold it right here. It's okay. Stay, you know, like just staying in that center of like unraveling and having someone else hold that is incredibly beneficial. Well, we need that, Laura. I mean, I think that that's also been as we're moving from this story of separate into the story of like memory of this interconnected, but we're doing it in a new way. We're coming in like as sovereign connected beings right as sovereign connected people but coming back into that like it takes a village that's not a that's not a cliche that's not just like some you know offhanded statement it's the truth it's the truth like in other cultures they have communities that grieve together they have you know they have like women that will come to your funerals and cry you know and i'm really interested you know you mentioned that i'm a death doula but i'm actually I'm I'm most interested in working with death as a portal to life. Mm. Like I don't do a lot of the end of, end of life work. Like that's I'm super appreciative that it's happening. Super grateful, but I, it's not my um my light up. My light up is that like these practices bring us more life, like more awareness of the preciousness of this life so that when we die, we die having fully lived. and that we don't have to wait until we have a terminal diagnosis to tap into tools and practices to bring us fully into presence in life and that's again why psychedelics and sacred plant medicines 
can also offer that opportunity. Death, you know, these are these are portals. They're kind of entryways into um, other realms of consciousness that exist at all times mm. that we just aren't always tapped into. And we get these kind of um, instant openings into mm. these other realms of consciousness. And then how do we integrate that into our lives? How does that become part of the way that we move in the world? Because otherwise, um, otherwise it's just another experience, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So having these meditation practices where we are making peace with death, where we're dying into the now, I could also imagine that gratitude practices would be really helpful. Do you have any other practices that, or, you know, just suggestions? I mean, it seems like even like dancing and singing and embodying joy could also be another practice, but I'm curious if there's anything else that you feel like sharing. Yeah. I mean, gra- so so I have this, what you're calling dying into the now, which I'm now calling the ceremony of living and dying. Oh. You know, it's, and it's been interesting just to try and kind of language this understanding and awareness of death and bring it in a way where it's like, it's not morbid, it's not fearful. It's an invitation to kind of engage in the ceremony of life through this doorway and conversation of death. Um, and, you know, so at and gratitude is a huge part of it. So, you know, I, my, my practice has been primarily influenced by a couple of different teachers and, and then what I channel myself. And so the, the death meditation, the ceremony of living and dying, we really go into the last hours of your life and come out and you're reborn. And there's so much opportunity along the way to connect with being grateful for this body, being grateful for this life and all of the different experiences. And that's a part of my daily practice. When I wake up full and present, then I go into gratitude, like, and I really connect with my body and with everything that else that is around me. But I start with my body because I think that oftentimes we go into gratitude and um, we start externally, but my, my, you know, this being, this form, this embodiment as a manifestation of the external, like we're missing that, you know, and all of these organs and this whole system that is a universe and universes unto itself is like constantly there working for us, mm-hmm. like for our own well-being and my sense is when we regulate that nervous system, when we regulate that universe, like our collective is, is going to drastically shift that mm-hmm. we're, you know, the consciousness that we are able to echo out through our own true deep work, mm-hmm. you know, and not to be confused with, um, some of the self-help that takes it outside of the self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're seeing such a huge movement and even the word embodiment, you know, somatic awareness, embodiment practices. I'm, I'm curious, you looked like you had a thought on that. Well, I, I do because I'm, I've been thinking a lot about what it is to become fully human and embodiment, like embodiment of the divinity of all of it. And so I, I use, when I use embodiment, the word is for me a lot more than just like movement practices. It is like the memory that our mind is not in our brain, that our, our body is our entire subconscious mind and that, that the consciousness beyond our body is reflected and mirrored through 
our own connection with this form, right? And that was something that I I really got out of a plant medicine experience was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's right. We took birth to embody the divine. Like, And so what does that mean? That means being fully with all that's happening, including connecting with this ecosystem that is the body. But I think that it's, for me, it's more nuanced than just like, so I'm going to dance, right? Like, am I dancing from the inside out? Am I connected with my form? Am I connected with the, the roots of my being that are connected with the roots of this earth? And how is that then channeled and connected with the cosmos? And, you know, so that that's embodiment. Mm. I love that. I love it. I love it so much. And it actually is just like this bridge into this sort of next area I really want to talk with you about because, you know, we're talking about opening this channel and being open to this, this movement of energy. And when we first met, that was actually something that I really appreciated about you, that you were really living life on your terms you know, I was like, wow, you're making so much shit happen in the psychedelic space. You're not like predominantly on social media. You're really just doing it in the way that you feel compelled to do it and to live on your terms. And this whole sort of conversation around, and you, you brought up the birthing analogy, which I love because last night when we were talking on the phone, you said that you're like, there's a time to push and then there's a time to relax and align. And I think that this is really present for a lot of people. This notion around knowing when to push and when pushing is coming from a good place and knowing when to just align and hold the the frequency of the prayer that we're anchoring on this planet. And so I know this is kind of a, a big segue, but I love to talk about this with you because you said some really powerful things last night, knowing that, you know, there is a time to align and there is a time to push. And it's a dance, knowing when to make things happen and when to allow things to happen. And I think it's about tuning in to that that frequency of that open channel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Laura. I mean, I don't actually think there's ever a time to make things happen. Like, I think that that's kind of part of the hubris of the human condition that the story that we like, we're making anything happen. Mm. You know, I think that that's part of like, I mean, you know, I lived a long, a long period of my life, like a lot of my life pushing and I, I went to business school. I built a company. I did all of these things like, like I thought I was supposed to do. And, and all this time, like I was fighting my own connection to the divine and pushing down my, my highly sensitive nature and the way that I felt everything and just trying to like find a way to make it through life, to form, to stay in form, to, you know, hold it together. And, um, and part of the story of what I thought I was supposed to do was to like push. And I did that. I did that until I had no more to give. I did that until I was literally running on fumes. And by the time my husband had died, I had recognized like it was him or me. Like I was at my end. Spirit was giving me messages. I was getting dreams, like all kinds of information was coming through. And it was like, listen and choose this path or don't. 
And so, you know, the process of the last eight years has been a lot about unpacking that, like how that story of urgency, that story of, um, of the adrenaline that comes from needing to be busy all the time to not feel the fullness of what's actually happening in life. And that we have anything to make happen that, you know, that separates us out from the collective experience of listening to the whole ecosystem, you know, that, and, and I've been, you know, so for me, it was like, I kept pushing and kept, you know, basically collapsing. And until I got to a point where I was like, my body was saying, listen, if you keep living like this, you're going to get really sick. And things started to happen. You know, things start to happen when we're not in alignment. And I, so by the time I ended up here in Big Sur, where I am now, um, on this magical land, that I had created many different programs that just kept getting stopped because of the pandemic, you know, and so I was... I was, I would say like strongly invited. <laughs> I was strongly <laughs> invited to listen, you know, to listen. And I started to listen with a different lens and a different ear. And, and it was, it was hard. I was, you know, I went, I went through like the deep lonelies. I went through like lots of confusion around like, you know, everybody's out there, everyone's online creating all these things. I am receiving all of these ideas just constantly. I'm a channel sitting on the edge of the earth channeling. And yet I kept hearing to clear my own channel, to stop, to listen, to be still to move from a different place, to learn how, you know, to continue to deepen in like learning what is extractive and what is generative and where am I moving from that place of like urgency and need versus like embodiment. And so, you know, I, I would say that it is, a, it is not just in the psychedelic space, it is in the collective space that we are, we are, many, many, many of us in that question between meeting the urgency that we feel around what is collectively happening and a desire to be of service and a desire to fully show up and then to find that stillness and to actually move from that place of stillness and allow that to inform what we create. Hmm. And that's where I've come to, you know, that's where I've come to. And it's not, it didn't come easily, you know, and, um, and I still work with that. Like, I still work with that. Like, how do I find the balance between even now I've created this new, um, this new curriculum, this new program. And it's like, it becomes all encompassing. And even though it's like soul work and passion work, it's like, oh, wait, how do I slow down enough to remember when I'm sending out messages to people that I'm actually sending out a gift like, how do I slow down enough to remember that everything that I'm creating is coming from this place of love, from this place of, you know, desire to be of service, to show up, to share from that authentic place and to not, um, and to still honor, like, the voice in me that wants to share, you know? And so it's like, we're in that dance, like, we're in that dance, and I think that it's a beautiful place to be in. Mm. I, I really consider it to be like the yin and yang of creativity, that we're actually, our bodies are this really a powerful vessel for creating through us into the world. 
And I think that we're mostly just in the young. And you made this analogy last night when we were on the phone that there is a time in pregnancy when pushing, it's time to push, it's a healthy push. And I like that analogy because, right. right, there's that young moment of like, okay, this is what needs to happen. And this is kind of what I was referring to, that balance between allowing it to happen and then making it happen, like stepping in, in this co-creative dance with life to shape something that we are bringing through from the place of yin, from the place of stillness, from the place of quiet. And I think we've mostly just lost that permission to slow down, that sense of it's okay that actually slowing down and finding center, clearing the channel, listening is incredibly valuable and essential part of the act of then making it happen or pushing or bringing it into the world. Maybe we need to actually even just use different words than making and pushing, but like stewarding and allowing it to actually just come through. And so it's this like dance again, coming back to Eastern philosophy, you know, that yin and yang of like allowing something to come through. Yeah. Well, and, and we, we can look at the natural world for that. You know, we can look at the natural world as a, an example of like when, when things get slow, when things get still, when things go into hibernation, like that's a natural part of the cycle of life, mm. you know, and we've, we've, um, we've forgotten that in some ways. And so this perpetual acceleration, this perpetual growth is what is not sustaining. It's not that growth isn't sustainable. It's not that acceleration isn't sustainable. It's the notion that we've forgotten that we need to, we need to hibernate. We need to regenerate. We need to rejuvenate on a human level and on a collective level that is more than human, you know, and that's part of why, um, that's part of what I love so much about the plants and psychedelics is that we get to tap into the more than human intelligence. We get to tap into that which reminds us that we are a part of this collective ecosystem. And when we get to slow down enough to integrate those experiences into our daily lives, then we're really getting, um, you know, the message, I think. We're getting, you know, the message that these um, elementals are offering to us. And how do you work with the narrative of urgency though? Because in some ways, and again, it's like so paradoxical because in some ways I do think that there is an urgent need for us to wake up. We're on the brink of the sixth mass extinction. Maybe that's just a narrative in and of itself. And there's a way bigger timeline going on that we can't even fathom, but it does seem like there could be a healthy sense of urgency to, okay, it's time to get our shit together, people. And so how do you relate to that? I mean, I, re I relate really well to that. I mean, I relate really well to that from the perspective of there is, uh, there is urgency. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's, if we didn't push, if we were, we're having a baby, you know, this is, this is kind of one of the messages that I received when we first dropped into the pandemic was that we are in the birthing rooms of our own becoming. Like we are in this bardo space, which the, you know, is a Buddhist term, this liminal space, the space between the death of what we were and the birth of what we're going to become. And we're sitting in this space. And, it, you know, in that kind of space of birthing before the baby comes out, you know, if you don't push, you don't have a baby. 
like, you, you know, it's like there is, there is an absolute time to rise up and to meet all that's happening in a way that is whatever way is in alignment for each and every being out there, like whatever way lights you up to be of service, like there is that, but from a resourced and embodied place, Mm -hmm. you know, because otherwise we go into burnout, which is what we're also seeing the, 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 the planet is sharing with us. Like we're, we're mirroring, like there's no delineation between her nervous system and our nervous system. You know, and so then the planet is just responding like the planet. You know, I think we even need new language around that. Like we're in a climate crisis. No, we're, if we want to even use the word crisis, we're in a crisis of consciousness if we want. If we, and I don't even like that word necessarily, but it's like we're, you know, the planet is responding to a part of herself, which is us mm-hmm. being dysregulated, being out of balance and trying to re-regulate. And so there is urgency, there is a, a wake up on a deep, deep level that is being invited, but it's how does it, how do we, how do we receive that? How do we embody that? And, and how do we access that? And if it, if it is urgency meeting urgency, then that frequency creates more of that same frequency. Right. Right. It's the paradox of being able to actually accomplish more by doing less and by, you know, accelerating right. by slowing down. Right. It's this like the just so. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's right. And, and that's what I've been finding. You know, that's what I found, like, as I've been creating, how do I, you know, because my, my, you know, the mind that learned how to do all of this in a big way and in a fast way and, you know, all of that wants to step in and like, do these things, do, 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 you know, and like my soul, my being, like my essence wants to say, no, like, how do we listen and then move from that place of listening? And that's, I think, what original peoples, you know, indigenous folks like really understand at, at a much deeper level because they have, they have not disconnected in the same way from that story of being connected. And so there is a reciprocal relationship of listening that is embodied, mm-hmm. you know, that is embodied. And that's what we're returning to. Mm-hmm. We're returned to that because it lives in us. Mm-hmm. I really want to ask you, I'm so curious to hear about some of your channeled curriculum. Before I ask that, I'm kind of curious if you have anything to say about ways that you clear your channel and maintain that open connection to spirit. Mm, Well, that's been an absolute work in progress, you know, and that's been really shifting as I'm kind of discovering and accessing different layers of what's stored in my system but most, most recently, I want to say that, you know, one of the messages that I received some years ago that I've been working with, and, and as I work with it, it's revealing itself at deeper layers, is that our restoration, our restoration is in our roots, you know? And so I started to unpack, what does that mean? What does that mean? And for me, I was exploring I was born in India and I was exploring what it is to be both colonized and colonizer because I have European Jewish lineage and East Indian lineage. And, you know, so I was exploring my ancestry and starting to connect with the resilience and the trauma in my history. And then I was exploring the soil and the roots. And lately what I've been really getting into 
to is that it's in in me in my body it's like really reconnecting with my lower energy centers or you know what um in eastern philosophy we call our chakras you know really connecting and clearing and anchoring from that place because i have spent so much of my life as a channel mostly disembodied like mostly in the upper realms like kind of heart up you know and so for me i've been really rooting I've been really working with those lower three centers, connecting and anchoring and, you know, dropping myself in in the morning, like imagining, visualizing what kind of a tree am I going to be today? What kind of tree wants to be me? You know, and maybe it's a rainbow eucalyptus or maybe it's one of my redwoods and dropping myself down into connecting with the earth, anchoring from that place and and closing down some of those lower centers so that I'm not necessarily so spongy and fluid, but I'm more emboundried, embodied, so that I can move from that rooted place to come up mm. Mm. rather than feeling separate. Mm-hmm. Rather than feeling separate. And I, and I really reflect that that sense of feeling separate is that sense of feeling separate with everything because because the part of me that has been so connected to the kind of upper realms and and needed to disassociate to process and deal with certain life experiences that that part of me then hasn't been as rooted and connected to the earth which is my home right which is what i came here for you know to be in this body to connect with so that's like super simple grounding practices like we can do like a you know, one minute, if you want to drop in for a minute, like yeah. I, I'm happy to just, mm-hmm. let's do it. And cut in a, a one minute. Yeah. So just settling in, noticing, noticing your form, maybe you're sitting or maybe you're laying down. Noticing this human form, perhaps even tracing it an outline of your body. So that you can really feel your body, feel your form, feeling your bones, feeling the place where your bones are meeting that surface of you. And noticing where that surface is rising up to meet you, connecting you with it and it with you. And imagining a tree wrapping its trunk around around your hips, around your lower body, and beginning to grow roots, beginning to grow roots through the foundation of the surface, through any wood and concrete, to meet the earth below you, to meet that deep, rich, fertile soil, that mycelial web, that network. And imagine those roots connecting and dropping deep, deep, deep into the core, the center of the earth itself, so that you're rooted and connected, safe and held. You might even imagine the roots of other trees, tree people, humans and non that connect to you like a family, 
so that you can feel that support, that nourishment, that grounding of the earth. And from that place, from that simple place, from that simple rooted and anchored place, feeling your form, the shape of your body, you can begin to move throughout your day. You might want to give some gratitude for that root, some gratitude for this form, if that feels good. Mm, thank you yeah. so much for leading that dream. I really thank appreciate you. it. You know, it's so simple to just take a moment and yet it can offer us so much. And it's funny that we just did this particular kind of practice because I've been really just, yeah, drawing upon practices just like this more sort of intentionally lately. As some people know, you know, I've come to Austin and I'm going to be splitting my time between Austin and the Big Island for a little while. And I've literally been living outside for 17 years and completely off grid. And I've had the privilege of living in that way. And I haven't lived in a city in almost two decades now. So it's been an adjustment to say the least, where I felt at times just a little sort of untethered from this deep root. And the blessing of the transition to Austin is that I'm much more able to recognize and appreciate this root that I've cultivated over the years, like right from the base of my spine into the earth, you know, living on the earth. And we cultivate a connection in that way that is just so profound. And I've really learned how to channel energy and all my creativity from that place, from that like rhythmic alignment that sort of pulses in resonance with the earth and has given me just so much life force and vitality and creativity in my life. And so coming to Austin, you know, and literally just living in a house has felt just quite disconnecting at times. And I've had to become just more intentional about maintaining that connection and that awareness since there's just a lot more external stimulation here. And it's also really allowed me to recognize what a blessing living on the land and eating food from the land all these years has been and paying attention to resources like water and power that has taught me just so much that I now carry with me. And it's practices just like this that help keep that awareness and that knowing that we are a part of nature alive in my heart and my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the privilege, right? The privilege that a few of us have of living, you know, in, in the magic, like that, I take that, um, I take that deeply to heart, like the time that you had on the Island that then informed you. And I think again, there's, there is, we're not living in a time where we're there to be like Zen in a cave, right? Like we're mm -hmm. there to kind of move in the world and show up in service and reconnect with wherever we are, Yeah, you know, and that was, you know, that was part of, that was actually a really deep inspiration and part of uh, a curriculum that I created at Esalen was like, how do we reconnect with the, the natural world, with the honoring of land, with the elementals, wherever we are? Because most of us will never have the privilege of coming into some of these spaces. And yet, um, yet the, like, we need, need that connection. If we, if we don't have that connection, then we're walking around in this disembodied space where we have forgotten that we're a part of this web. And that's the only way that we can continue to live in this extractive way. Because if we remembered, 
if we remembered that we were part of everything, that what we do to ourselves, we do to everything, then we would be living differently. Right. So how do we begin to restore restore this memory when we don't all have access to this profound privilege of, of nature? Mm-hmm. Which, which kind of comes back to the way that you so beautifully defined embodiment. And it's, it's, it's kind of like that, like how we from the inside out, regardless if we're living on pavement or living on the earth, we know in our bones, in our being, that we are fundamentally a part of nature. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's practice. You know, it's again, like that's, so this is a great segue because when I, um, you know, when I'm sitting here on the edge of the earth in this like vastly magical, beautiful place that I'm so privileged to live in, in the land of the Esalen people, and I, I started to, you know, all these programs that I had created were canceled. And I started to go like, okay, spirit, you know, okay, universe, like I'm going to get still. I'm going to do my, my own deeper work. It's going to suck and be painful, but I'm going to do it. And, um, and then I received this new curriculum. And, and what I heard was dream, go back to beginner's mind you know, which is this Buddhist saying of like, go back. And what I, what I heard was like, okay, go back to like kindergarten, go back to kindergarten. Like what, what is it to learn again? What is it to learn again? Because we didn't get a lot of these teachings. We didn't get a lot of these teachings imprinted into our being. So it's, you know, to take away the blame and the shame for how and why we are the way we are and to move beyond that, to understand like, we didn't, we don't know what we don't know, you know, but in our bones, we know it. And so that's the struggle that we're in. That's this, like, I believe like what I've known to be true for me is that's this sense of belonging that I have been longing for my entire life. And for many, many, many lifetimes is to remember that I'm connected to everything, Mm -hmm. right? To remember that I'm connected to everything, but it has not been part of my modern Western education. And so this idea of like, okay, go back to beginner's mind, go back to kindergarten. Like I learned how to breathe again. And I started to think like, wow, I remembered back to my first mushroom experience when I was 15 that quite literally saved my life on a lot of levels, but that's a story for another time. But, you know, with that in mind, like I started to imagine what if I had had elders or at least some kind of a guide or guidance what if i understood what intention was or or the role that my mind you know you talked about a lot about that the role that my stories or my mind was playing like in my experience and my environment and what if more than anything i'd had a relationship with the wisdom of the medicine itself like what if i had some context and understanding of that and so from that place, like, is where I wanted to create, like how, and, and I started to think about, you know, being a bridge myself, like, what is it to bridge the worlds of Western science and ancient science or ceremony? How do we create that conversation where, you know, we have psychedelics, which really represent one lens, like one slice of what's happening. And it's mostly been Western science focused. And there's beauty in that, but it's, it's just a, a small fraction of the magic that is possible when you hold a holistic view, when you understand the context of, of the foundation in which 
the tens of thousands of years of medicine use in some cases that these Western models are being built upon, you know, and how do we bridge those worlds? How do we bring those conversations together to honor the wisdom that exists in both, but to really give the foundation of that honoring to the framework of original principles, the framework of reciprocity, the framework of the wisdom of the medicine itself, you know, and that's what I um, endeavor to create from. And that's kind of the curriculum that I've been endeavoring to create from is really to bring those worlds together, to begin to share how we re-imprint the sacred in the ordinary. You know, it doesn't have to be a big ceremony. Like you saw that we can just go in and root through all the concrete and all the foundation and connect and tap into the core of the earth in the same way that we can connect with the water that's coming out of the faucet. You know, it's like that's accessible to us when we have the capacity to slow down and when we have some framework for it because mm. we just don't know what we don't know, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't know. And I didn't have it, and I and I want to give that to to others because I can just imagine what my experiences in the psychedelic space um, and and now my relationship with sacred plants could have been like if I'd had those that kind of some of that foundation. Mm, right, I so appreciate that perspective. Yeah, and I, I want to hear uh, more about this event that you're creating. And before we get there, you know, I just briefly want to share, you have this incredible knack to really speak and reflect back to me so much of my experience in a way that allows me to deepen in my own understanding of my experience, which I just love that about our connection and about you and your wisdom. It, this isn't a time for all of us to just go into seclusion forever into the caves and the monasteries, but we actually have to go into that silence and then bring it back out into the world. It really is the path of the Bodhisattva, which isn't easy. And it kind of requires some level of sacrifice and saying, okay, you know, I am going to sort of disconnect from that, like incredibly profound root that was so nourishing to me so that I can come and do this work in a city where people really need this kind of support and education and remembering our wholeness to the earth. That's right. That's right. Um, I mean, you and I share that Shambhala lineage, you know, and if you, you know, for those of you who haven't read the Shambhala prophecy, I, I highly suggest that um, as a piece of reading. And in that prophecy, you know, there, there, there is uh, the awareness and understanding that we move through the corridors of these, you know, experiences themselves, like the places where there is a lot of dissonance, you know, and we move from that embodied place. And for me, like where I am with my nervous system, I recognize like I'm still, I'm still on the island, so to speak. Like I'm still in that place where my system is very sensitive, wants to kind of create from this place and then go out into the world, offer, and then come back and mm -hmm. Uh, regenerate. And I have that capacity. And so I recognize the, the privilege and the honor of being able to create from that space. And that's what I want to bring out into the world. And that's exactly where you are. You know, it's that you're always rooted. You're always connected to the island, to, to this land, to all land, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so the, the, there's ways, you know, for everybody within the cities, like there's, there 
is still nature. There is still a way to stay connected, whether it's to a plant in your home or whether it's to a tree outside or whether it's to the vastness of the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't, but, but it's the training to stay and root and reconnect that we're really being asked to bring into the cities, mm-hmm. right. you know, and, and, and to help people even process the grief and the longing for being separate from that, which they don't even know that they feel separate from. Exactly. Exactly. That's the, that I think yeah. that's really hitting the nail on the head because when we live in these boxes disconnected for like decades at a time, we just forget. We just don't even know what we're missing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. There's just a lot of confusion, you know, and it's not even, it's, it's, it's like to strip the blame and to strip the shame and just to say like, we don't know what we don't know, Mm -hmm. but in our hearts we do. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the truth. It's like, that is where, that's the root of so much suffering is this, this deep feeling of disconnect and this longing to belong and and then and then looking for it in all of these different ways you know it's like that um that child that childhood story of like the are you my mommy are you my mommy are you my mommy the little like uh, duck or whatever the animal is that's just going around looking 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 you know because we're looking for our we're looking for our community. We're looking to remember that we're part of a whole. We're looking to remember that we're part of a whole, not just human community, but a, a collective organism. And because we've forgotten that, we're, we create a lot of confusion and suffering. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we create these spaces to go back into the restorative place, just that feeling of being able to go back and realign, recenter, especially the nervous system, because it's so easy to come out of balance when it's constant overstimulation. There's, it's like advanced training. I was like, wow, this takes like some serious fucking Jedi training to be able to like enter this kind of matrix on the mainland and not be totally <laughs> spun out on like a nervous system system regulation level. It's like kind of wild to see. And yet we're all coping. You know, all these people are just like, this is normal. This is normal. I'm going to keep coping with it. And people are, yeah, it's struggling to cope really. Well, that's it. That's it. And I think that, you know, but part of what you're touching on is that, you know, there's nowhere to go. There's like, we, we like those, we like on the one hand we have, you know, some of us like the, especially really highly sensitive people need to recharge and rejuvenate in whatever way we can, wherever we are, whether we have that connection and capacity to be in nature or whatever kind of field that we can create for ourselves to rejuvenate, because that's the truth of it. That's the truth is that when we regulate our nervous systems, then we can go out, we can co-regulate and we can be regulated. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's you're coming into to this like conversation and with the matrix or with the mainland or with whatever reality, whatever label you want to call the the kind of main uh, mainframe reality. And, you know, the invitation is to take every every experience that you've had in this lifetime and in all the lifetimes and to be anchored where you are. Because that's the, those are the practices that people that are living in cities and in urban environments need is because they're not necessarily going to go to the mainland and they aren't necessarily have, you know, this idea that we need to retreat. Like, yeah. I think that we're working with both. Mm-hmm. We're working with both that like, 
and and that's been really interesting for me. That's been an interesting dance to remember. Like, yes, I need to recenter. I need to rejuvenate. I am still learning what it is to be like a grounded, embodied, boundaried being. And as I'm learning that, like, it's essential for me to have stillness, slow space, natural connection, and at the same time, like, that's also a story. You know, that's also a story that there's actually anything other than that, which is like innately rooted and anchored. And I'm always connected to all of this. Mm. I so, so appreciate that. It's like really creating space for that living embodiment, no matter where we are and taking the time to regenerate without the story of, oh, it's going to happen here or it's going to happen there and not have to create a lifestyle of needing to retreat. But the embedded retreat in the daily lifestyle, I think is the key to longevity in serving this path of service right now. That's right. That's right. To take to take the embodiment into daily living, to bring that sacred into the ordinary, to make this just movement as a part of our life so that wherever we are, whether we're in, you know, in prison or in the prison of our minds, like we, you know, we like that's I mean, I think that some of the greatest teachers have shown us that it's like we we don't need anything else mm-hmm. outside of of what is inside of us and that's that's where the plants come in mm-hmm. as great teachers like they're not giving us anything that doesn't exist already inside of us mm-hmm. that we don't already have access to they're just opening up the doorway just mm-hmm. like death mm-hmm. they're just opening up the doorway to a different conversation with realms of reality that exist at all times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to speak to something, you know, you said something earlier in the conversation where you said, oh, I'm not calling it this anymore. I'm now framing it and wording it in this way. And it actually just made this ping, this light bulb go off in my mind of like, slow and steady, and we never really arrive, that we're actually always in this evolution of the way that we're developing curriculum. So it was nice to actually hear, you know, that we're never actually really at a point where we're fully ready to be like, oh, I have it all figured out. And now I'm going to put out this program or this curriculum, but it's more the way that we hold this vision for what we're creating and how that vision actually simultaneously shapes us into who we are becoming on this path. It's that co-creative dance. And I'm just kind of curious, like what, what's right. What comes up for you when you hear that? Oh, I, what comes up for me is like this becoming, right? Becoming, becoming, like always we are becoming. Like there is for, for you know, it's like the moments of like my most arrogant moments in life are when I thought I had it all figured out. Like when I thought I knew what was right. You know, when I, I mean, and that's, I mean, I think that's what, what we're, what's dying. That's what's dying is that we're letting go of this idea that we're actually in control. We're letting go of this idea that we actually know that we have this, this solution mind that thinks that it has it all figured out. And we're dropping in to other realities, which is that we're in a co-creation with everything at all times. And that you know, when we, when we think we have it figured out is, is an invitation for us to check the truth of that, the truth of that. And, and to know that there, that is like a, a momentary evolving sense, right? A momentary evolving sense, you know, and it's like, for me, having some of these, you know, and you may have experienced this too, kind of being 
earlier on in some of these conversations, like for me, the conversations around death and around grief and around um, reciprocity and a lot of these different ideas that I've been exploring, colonization and things for many, many years, it's like um, they weren't mainstream, you know, and so it's it's and having come out of business school and like this idea of needing to market something and needing to to kind of create from that extractive mindset has been something that I've been disentangling myself from. Like how how do I create from a generative place and not from an extractive place? And so I think that that's always like we're in this evolutionary process of exploration of that because we have foundational learnings that we're disentangling from and then we have a root level knowing that we're living from you know and we're the more we tap into that the more we start to just move from this like everything is evolving Mm -hmm. and you are magnetizing some really powerful voices especially the events that you're launching that i want to ask you about that i'm also honored to be speaking at And before I give you space to really share about this upcoming event, I'm curious to ask you, in what ways has this curriculum and putting together the first Entheo Wheel event and now this one, what have you learned about yourself? Where have you met your own growth edge? And how has this process of you creating and pulling this together from the ethers, you know, and shaping it, how has that been shaping you as a woman on this path? Oh, wow. That's such a good question. <laughs> and I'm going to take a pause and go in for a minute. So you may, you mm-hmm. may have to, take, you know, please take your time together here. Mm-hmm. But well, let's talk about edges first, because those are always fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I love you. <laughs> this is it. This is, that's the, you just like the epitome of why I love you and our connection. <laughs> You know, um, I gotta say, so when I, when I first received this Entheo wheel vision, um, and it, it was a, it was a collaborative process, you know, it came from, it came out of, um, a, a lot of different ways of creating, you know, it came out of, I, so I was invited to, um, I was invited to help to host and produce a gathering that happened at Esalen in 2019 called Psychedelic Integration. And it brought together a lot of the heavy hitters. It brought together in the, in the Western psychedelic space, Michael Pollan and Rick Dublin and, you know, a lot of great voices, like amazing, you know, thought leaders in certain ways. And it also illuminated so much of what was missing in the movement and illuminated like the deeply embodied feminine voices and illuminated the um, indigenous perspectives or original people's perspectives It illuminated the lack of diversity and color in the space. So it, it was just like, it was like being in the hot seat in some way. Now I didn't program that program, but I did come in to help host it, you know, and I got to see like on the one hand, it was so amazing. And on the other hand, what was missing? And so I committed at that time, as did a lot of other people in this space, to like starting to have a different conversation. The North Star Pledge was seated at that gathering. That was kind of the inspiration for that. And and I started to go into conversation with some other visionary guides and council members to say, like, how do we create from a different space? And so when Enthea Wheel came, like I just it was like a huge vision. 
And my mind just likes to create big, you know, and that's one of my edges. One of my edges is to actually slow down and create from a space that is generative and create from a space that I can actually fully manifest in a good way. And, you know, this, this curriculum that I created in April was an edge on so many levels. Like it was the, it was the first live and live stream experience that Esalen had hosted in full. We literally used all of the bandwidth. Okay, if you had your cell phone on, the service would go down. Now that is a metaphor for me also using all of my bandwidth. And I, and I did the same thing that I have defaulted to in, in many experiences in the past, but not quite in the same way. Like I was definitely able to find a more embodied place. I was definitely able to drop in in a more connected way, but still I defaulted to that old pattern of just like over creating, making something that was bigger than I could actually, you know, hold because it wasn't me either. It was like this, you know, kind of channeled process. So that was definitely like, I saw, I saw my edges there. I saw, I also met like the part of me that really wanted to come out and have her voice seen and kind of share from this place of like everything that I've been harvesting and harnessing and learning, but also, you know, where she, like that aspect of me kind of came out and, and, overfilled the stage, took up too much space, like didn't, didn't allow for other voices to come through. So that was a real edge that I got to experience in meeting like that part of me, um, in creating like this, because it was the first time I'd ever done anything like it, you know, and you wouldn't have known it to, to, to necessarily be there and be a part of it. But for me, it was a huge edge. It was this place of like coming out in full creative expression meeting all of those different places of like bringing voices of color and diversity, bringing, bringing the, the wisdom and the voices of the plants and the keepers. And it, you know, so it was a real edge of like, can I show up and a whole amazing, incredible group of people showed up to support, which was also an edge. Like as somebody who has embodied that story of the lone wolf, and has been really disentangling from that story of like needing to hold it all together oneself to create in community, to create in that way, total edge. And I definitely met like some parts of me that really came up against that. So that's, that's, yeah. So mm. we'll start with that. And that leads me into so much of what I've learned, you know, so much of what I've learned, like what I'm working with in this next iteration was like, I, I got still, I slowed down again, you know, even though there was like a lot of urgency in me to like create the next thing and to do the next thing. It was like, no, I actually went to the island, you know, I took a lot of time to like, let it come through slowly and create what was next. And you know, recognize that I have a lot of big visions and sometimes they'll come in stages that it's not necessarily going to be this, you know, full experience coming in all at once. The resources will come in when the resources are supposed to and the support will come in and to create from that place of, and that's, that's helping me step more fully into my my embodied self, my, my role as somebody who can show up in service and give from that place. 
Hmm. So that's been a huge gift. Mm, I love that. I think there's such a core theme of people who do feel called to step out in the multitude of ways that you can step out in the psychedelic space or just in life in general and coming up against the, am I capable of this? You know, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of not good enough, fear of what if I do this and I completely land on my face And it's not about the outcome. I mean, the outcome is a byproduct, but it's really the act of what we learn and who we become along the way. And it was nice to actually drop in with you on the island post the first event and just feel your integration process of that event. Like it was a palpable sense of that was a significant initiation portal and you were really integrating that experience into your being, transmuting that into, okay, this is how I can hold a vision for the next iteration. And it's just that, that reminder for people listening that it's a path, it's a process. It's one step at a time. We're going to step out and do something imperfectly and know that it's going to be imperfect and that's okay. And that you can reiterate and do it again and do it better. And it still will be imperfect. And it's just the process of things. That's right. I mean, that's creativity. That's creation. You know, but I would say that it is already always perfect. I'd like to just reframe the idea of perfect, you know. And so I think that for a long time, I had this idea that I needed to be perfect, that everything needed to be perfect. I, When I created my company, even though I was in my garage, like I had a, a call center and I had this illusion of like having it all together and, and on the outside having this framework. And as I come through this process now, it's like, it's already always perfect in a certain way. Like the, the, you know, when, when a tree grows crooked, it doesn't say like I'm crooked. And so I'm imperfect. (laughs) It's just the way the tree has grown, right? It's just the way the tree has grown. And it's like, so when it's like, I learned a lot from launching this first program and I was trying to do so many things at once. And I was supported by such an amazing group of people, but I was under-resourced financially and under-resourced in human capacity. And so I got to see like where that kind of bubbled up to the surface, how I can hold a container in a better way when I'm more anchored and resourced myself and when I bring in the right resources to do that. And so it's like, was that imperfect? Well, it was perfectly imperfect. (laughs) You know, it's like that that's it. It's like, there's no, I just think there's a lot of labels and a lot of judgment and a lot of ways that we end up like creating story and that reifies the story of shame that we're actually really stepping out of, which is that like any experience that we've ever had is anything, you know, but for us. I mean, and I say that as somebody who has walked through a lot of profound and intense, like traumatic experiences and been deeply abused in many different ways. And I can come out of that saying like, I, I recognize that there is a gift in every single experience that I've ever lived. And that's not to diminish what I've lived through, but to just say like that there is another side when we come kind of, it's, I think what we're seeing now, some people are starting to talk about like the, the genius or the gift of trauma. You know, it's like, and there is a, so there's a wellspring of brilliance and genius in all of our experiences that we're waiting to embody. Mm. 
And that's what I'm excited about. Like I'm excited to embody that. And, and so as I like step out and I learn, um, and I, I retreat, like I felt myself retreat, like back into like full turtle shell in like terror of like coming out and being, you know, and, and not having done it quote unquote perfectly. And I got to digest that and just remember like, oh yeah, like when I'm coming from a place of love, when I'm coming from a place of service, like I can't fuck it up. I love that. I love that. Okay. I really want to give you some space to share the inspiration around this next online event and what can people expect and what can people potentially walk away with after participating in and watching some of these talks that are going to be happening online. So just all the time you need to share about this upcoming event. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, love. So I want to give just a little bit of background, a little history on this event. So mm-hmm. entheowheel, which is a, an even a word that we've never heard of, that word was given to me, um, you know, and it's a co- combination of entheogen and the medicine wheel, you know. And so there was eight different medicines that came out of this uh, vision around having a curriculum that brings us back into relationship with how we prepare how we experience ceremony and how we integrate. And from the lens of bridging the worlds of Western psychedelic science and ancient ceremonial science. And so the first event that I created at Esalen or that, that when, and when I say I, I wanna just really honor that it was a co-creation of so many different like lineages of histories of teachers and the medicines themselves and an incredible group of people that came together. Uh, so to frame what I means to me. So when I created from that space of like, how do we bring this in through the lens of beginner's mind? That was really the inspiration and intention. And so we had an event at Esalen that was a three-day event that bridged the worlds of ceremony and science around psilocybin. And it was psilocybin was really the first medicine that spoke that said, I'm coming out in a big way. And, you know, and it's time for, you know, us to really have these conversations, right? And so that's part of what we created. We created, you know, a a way to begin from the foundation of honoring the land, of blessing the land, what it is to have an altar and to create an altar both for yourself and for the earth itself, creation of earth altars. And then we started to really weave in these conversations around what is it to have prayer and ceremony and the context of prayer and ceremony, and then bring in voices like Paul Stamets to talk about the interconnection and the you know lineage of mycology and the role of mushrooms in the world, and bring in voices like Robin Carhart Harris to talk about the neurobiology, but also the way that integration and group integration is informing the scientific methods and the practices. And Jim Fadiman came in to talk about my microdosing. And so we really dropped in to have all of these different voices come in. Jyotima, who is the grandmother who brought together the 13 indigenous grandmothers to talk about prayer and the power of the role of ceremony and Erica Gagnon, who is a wisdom keeper. So, you know, so bringing all these different voices and many others, you know, East Forest and uh, Milana Snow, who, who taught breathwork and Marissa, um, who taught us 
yin yoga and like trauma-informed yoga and just grace who brought in the healing powers of sound and i'm sure that there are others that i'm forgetting in this moment because it was just it was sachin patel who brought in this functional medicine and how we can really rewire our bodies neurologically so all of these different voices came in to gather together and to have these conversations around how we bridge these worlds and how we approach this through the lens of beginner's mind. Harry Grammer came in to really teach us about some of his morning practices and the role that these medicines have played in his life. So we're really exploring these different lenses and all of that came together in this beautiful gathering at Esalen. Um, and we recorded all of those recordings. And so the first thing we did was to create a video library, a kind of scaled down edited version of all of those talks and conversations to help people prepare. Because that was really the intention there was like, wow, what does it look like to come in, prepare? What does it look like to set intention? What does it look like to experience ceremony? So Chil Ashe, who is a fifth uh, lineage Peruvian medicine woman, guided us through some process around actually connecting with the power and the healing of the medicine itself without ingesting any medicine. So that was really part of like, how do we tap in and connect to the wisdom that exists in these allies without necessarily even needing to ingest them so that we can begin to cultivate that relationship. And then how do we integrate that out into our lives? So those were the conversations that we held at Esalen and we, we edited those down into a video library, this immersive kind of experience where you can go back and listen to those talks. So that's the foundation for this salon series. And then I was like, okay, what's next? I have this bigger vision of creating this full e-course that kind of guides you through all these different portals. But I had to scale that back and say, all right, how are we going to get to that vision? Well, we're going to get to that vision by continuing the conversations. And so for me, I, I, I saw this as the opportunity to really bring the next level of conversations that I feel that really matter into this particular framework of bridging the worlds of ceremony and science. And so we're going to get to explore, you know, with Paul and Erica, and, you know, we're still weaving in other younger voices of color into the conversation, but we're going to get to explore with some of these thought leaders, like, okay, how we're bridging Western science and modern science. What is the role of creativity in the conversation? How do we tap into connecting more with our own innate genius, which is something that these medicines also offer us. How do we connect with the role of microdosing? What is resilience? And how do we cultivate resilience? And how do we cross-pollinate in these worlds and create movements? And so all of these different conversations, what are the role of our ancestors and kind of the roots and how we reconnect with those practices? What about death? You know, Tony Bosis and Joe Tima and myself are going to talk about the role of death in psychedelics and mushrooms. And so it's really, I get really excited because it's like these, these messages that are coming through then get to be made manifest into conversations and woven into a fabric where other people's voices and their work can be, come into play and we can drop into how we can weave this web together how we can weave the worlds of science with the worlds of ceremony and start to bring that out in a good way. I love it. So that's, that's the five part salon series. Yeah. With the video library. And so if you can't come to the salon series, then you can still drop in and connect with that video library. 
And what are the dates? Mm, the salon series begins January 16th, and it's on a Sunday, 9 a.m. Pacific time. So we're, we're going to be dropping in for three hours, two hours of conversation and Q&A and some and practices. We'll drop into, sometimes there'll be some practices that we can tap into, and then an hour for the community to drop in and connect with each other, to go into breakouts and to kind of digest and harvest and process what's come up. And we'll be doing that for five Sundays in a row, beginning at 9 a.m. Pacific time. And if, again, if the, the salons aren't available for you, if the timing isn't right, um, you can drop in either to the replays later. You can drop in just to the video library that we've created. Uh, if scholarships are needed, you know, I've created a scholarship fund, so that's available to folks in need. We're also, I'm also really interested in bringing voices of color just into the conversation. So scholarships are available, whether there's a financial need or not, if you're a voice of color and you want to come into the space, like you're welcome, we welcome you. And uh, yeah, that's that's the next iteration of Entheowheel, which is the ceremony and science of psilocybin. Oh, that's beautiful. And I'm so grateful to be speaking on this series as well. I am really just grateful that you invited me to contribute as well. And grateful for you and your life's work and for all that you've, you, you teach me so much every time I talk to you. And I knew this was going to be a super amazing conversation. So I'm just so grateful. I mean, we're going to have to have you back on, you'll just have to be a regular appearance on each season of this show. Um, but I just bow in honor of you dream. I really adore you. I respect you. I cherish our connection and our deepening friendship. And I just have immense gratitude for your life and all that you've taught me so far. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for showing up and all of your beauty and continuing to echo out the message and all the ways that you do. And thank you for the gift of your time. Thank you for having me on. I knew that we, I was like, wow, we're going to, we're going to go for 45 minutes. Let's see how that works. So I'm like, like, I know this was extra, extra long. I'm sure you're going to cut some of it out. And um, yeah, just thank you, love. Yeah. So grateful for you. No, I'm going to leave the whole thing in. I don't think there's any aspect of that that I'm going to want to cut out because it was just potent from right from the start. Even when you were like, oh, can we read this before we start? I was like, this is going in. We're we're keeping this in. (laughs) Everyone should hear this. So um, yeah, just the wisdom of of knowing how to open the container. And I knew it was going to be good. So thank you so much, Dream. I, I can't wait to hug you in person. Thank you, love. Yay. Nice to be with you. Have a beautiful day. More soon. Bye. Aloha. Love you. Aloha. Love you too. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. If you've been enjoying the show, I would so appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes or feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or share one of your favorite episodes on social media. If you'd like to be in touch with me, please feel free to reach out through Instagram at D. You can always send me a direct message there, or you can email me through my website. Right now, my website is livefreelauraD.com, but I am in the midst of a huge brand overhaul that I am so thrilled about. And so soon, my new website is going to be lauradon.co. 
And I'll include a link to my most current website in the show notes. And if you'd like to be in touch with me about anything at all, you can go to my website and send me an email through my contact page. And I'm going to leave you with this beautiful transmission by Alan Watts that was put together by Beretta and Superposition. Once again, my name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Until next time. If you awaken from this illusion and you understand that black implies white, self implies other, life implies death, or shall I say, death implies life, you can feel yourself not as a stranger in the world, not as something here on probation, not as something that has arrived here by fluke, but you can begin to feel your own existence as absolutely fundamental. What you are basically, deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. So, say in Hindu mythology, they say that the world is the drama of God. God is not something in Hindu mythology with a white beard that, that sits on a throne and that has royal prerogatives. God in, in Indian mythology is the self, Satchitananda, which means Sat, that which is, Chit, that which is consciousness, that which is Ananda is bliss. And in other words, re, the, the, what exists, reality itself is gorgeous. It is the plenum, the fullness of total joy. Wow, we. And all those stars, if you look out in the sky, is a firework display like you see on the 4th of July, which is a great occasion for celebration. The universe is a celebration. It's a firework show to celebrate that existence is. Wowee. And then they say, but however, there's no point just in sustaining bliss. Let's suppose that you were able every night to dream any dream you wanted to dream. And that you could, for example, have the power within one night to dream 75 years of time. Or any length of time you wanted to have. And you would naturally, as you began on this adventure of dreams, you would fulfill all your wishes. You would have every kind of pleasure you could see. And after several nights of 75 years of total pleasure each, you would say, well, that was pretty great. But now let's, um, let's have a surprise. Let's have a dream which isn't under control. Well, something is going to happen to me that I don't know what it's going to be. 
And uh, you, you would dig that and come out of that and say, wow, that was a, a close shave, wasn't it? And then you would get more and more adventurous and you would make further and further out gambles as to what you would dream. And finally, you would dream where you are now. You would dream the dream of living the life that you are actually living today. That would be within the infinite multiplicity of choices you would have, of playing that you weren't God. Because the whole nature of the Godhead, according to this idea, is to play that he's not. The first thing he says to himself is, man, get lost. Because he gives himself away. The nature of love is self-abandonment, not clinging to oneself, throwing yourself out, as in, for example, in basketball, you're always getting rid of the ball. You say to the other fellow, have a ball, see? And uh, that, that keeps things moving. That's the nature of life. So in this idea then, everybody is fundamentally the ultimate reality. Not God in a politically kingly sense, but God in the sense of being the self, the deep down basic whatever there is. And you're all that, only you're pretending you're not.